Good morning. Is everyone out there? Is everyone out? Am I out there yet? Am I out here yet? Am I out there? Can everyone hear me? Oh, it's very good. Some feedback this morning. That's terrific. Well, there is a reason why we showed this this morning. We're talking about this whole month as dependable God, disposable world, and in Miranda's case, it's usually more to do with being disposable than it is with being dependable. Eva, what you shared this morning is terrific. This whole idea about in a very much a disposable world, is there anything that is dependable, that is reliable? We're going to pick that up just in a moment. But before we do, there are a bunch of things happening around here at NCR that I thought I just need to inform people about. We've got the youth who are over the road at LifeWorks this morning. We have the young adults who are away on a retreat we have another home group who's connecting in a community space down um, at Phillip Island, which would be a great place to be at this morning, wouldn't you agree? Um, but we're here. Well done, you. And um, uh, we have a group over in East Timor, and we've got some photographs that they sent through. They're in the midst of their, their journeys over in Timor. And uh, Nandy sent these back, and I thought, this is fantastic, because uh, this is in Morpatine. We actually raised money last Christmas to build this resource teaching centre in Morpatine. So this is it. They went and visited it um, during the week. And these are the kids lining up as they do, um, very East Timorese, giving the clap. There'll be a presentation of some tays down at the end of this line and just keep going through, Rob. Here's some of the kids, which are fantastic. Colourful room. Isn't that great? And uh, then the next one on, I think we'll hold it there for a second because they fly in one of these to visit some of the remote areas. This is just a very, very small aircraft. I've been in one. I've slept in one overnight when I was in East Timor when we were grounded for the night and they pulled all the seats out. These are fuselages are made down um, in Gippsland Way and they're very reliable but they were off on a trip somewhere as well. So there's a bunch of people who are doing different things um, all the time, uh, but particularly this this weekend as well. And so, so we're thinking about all of that, and for those of us who are here on this weekend, we're talking about dependable God and a disposable world. And to kick things off, I've just brought along with me this morning, this whole idea is, is God dependable? And I have brought with me two saws. And uh, you'll notice that um, both of them are looking a little bit worse for wear, but the one on your right, the orange one, if you go down to Bunnings on any given day of the week, you can purchase one of these saws for about 10 to 15 bucks. In fact, does anyone here have one of these saws in there to one, the two, three, yeah, oh wow, okay, we've all got one. In fact, on a good day, you might be able to pick up one of these if they're wanting to add it onto something else for about five bucks. That is a good, reliable, I think, saw. However, on the other hand, if you went down to Bunnings, you could not purchase one of these anymore. I know it's looking a little bit worse for wear. There's a little bit of rust on it. And uh, my grandfather wouldn't be too pleased with me because this was his saw. He had a couple of saws. He was a cabinet maker. And so back then when he was going through his apprenticeship, you would have one of these saws, maybe two, they would play a different kind of role along the way, uh, depending on what kind of cut of the timber they wanted. Um, but when he grew up, he would probably just be able to purchase one, possibly two of these, and these were built to last. See, so you couldn't buy one of these anymore um, because they don't make them quite like this. I'm sure at the top end level they do, but for a tradesman back then, this was kind of it. In fact, he might... Um, polish it up a little bit. In fact, when the teeth of this saw got blunt, he would actually painstakingly go through and sharpen each of the teeth because this was the one he had. 
and he cared for this and, and he would probably cover it with a cloth and these were the tools of his trade. So if you ever asked him to cut something, he would pull this thing out and it would be shiny and he would know what it's required to put the effort in to make this thing continue. If it didn't have a use-by date, this would go on and on forever. Let's come back to Bunnings for a moment. You go down to Bunnings and you say, you know what, the, the teeth of this saw are blunt. Could we sharpen them? They would look at you and they would laugh. They would say, why on earth would you want to sharpen the teeth of this saw? It only cost you 10 bucks. It'll probably cost you three times as much of that to get it machined, to get it going again. The teeth on this were sharp when they started, but once it ran out, that was kind of it. Why don't you just replace it and buy another one? In fact, they're on special today for five bucks. Look at the contrast between these two worlds. One of them is a dependable world in which you put in a lot of effort to maintain it and keep it going. And this one, well, this one represents an entirely different world. This is the one where when it runs out, when it's past its use-by date, you can just throw this one away and you can get a new one. Could you imagine a world that just thought that when something ran out, you could just upgrade it? that you could just get a new one, that it was quite okay to just dispose of it because it wasn't made to last. Could you imagine a world like that? In fact, has anyone purchased one of those 20 buck drill sets from Bunnings and given it away maybe as a Christmas present or something like that? You know, the, I've, I've, I had one of those. I've probably had multiple ones of those drill bits, right? What I find is that all of a sudden you put them in and for the normal standard sort of drilling, it works, but as soon as you put it under any pressure whatsoever, they break. And you can take that back to a place like, I wouldn't, shouldn't just pick on the Bunnings, but any particular store and you could just say, you know what, this drill bit, it didn't work. And they would most likely look at you and they would say, what do you expect from a 20 buck drill set? These things weren't made to last in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? Has anyone had those conversations before? That kind of conversation over the counter where you realise, wait a second, we live in a disposable world. Now, allow that thinking to seep into our... And, and let's apply it against some other values like integrity and resilience and endurance and faithfulness and any of these words and they'll bump up against it and they'll say, you know what? The world that we live in today is vastly different from that saw that my granddad used only about 60 years ago. Can you imagine a world like that when you're placed under a little bit of pressure, things give way and break? If that seeps into your thinking, you go into your workspace and you know you've had a bad day. It's Monday morning and they haven't rolled out the carpet for you and they haven't applauded you coming to work and saying, well done you, so good for you to be here today. You know, but you're just having a hard day and maybe you've messed up something and the, the boss has got onto you and you think, you know what, in a disposable world I'm tempted, you know. Maybe I should just give this job away and I could go and find a new one. Imagine if that thinking seeped into our relationships. You know, has there been anyone here this morning that has wanted to upgrade their, 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 their partner? Yeah, anyone? Anyone? Any parents here who have wanted to upgrade their children? 
here this morning. You can just... Yeah, okay. We've got a few happening down here. We're going to interview you right now. Could you come down here and... You see, in a world that's disposable, the upgrade or the replacement or the becomes a real tangible option, doesn't it? As soon as there's a bit of pressure, as soon as there's a bit of friction, as soon as there's a bit of leverage that's not going our way, the, the temptation is, you know what? Maybe I should just discard this one and get a new one. Maybe I should... And it seeps into our thinking. And it affects everything. Okay. Now, I have a look at a section of the Bible this morning. And I want you to cast your minds back about 400 years before Jesus Christ lived, if you can do that. And, and that kind of thinking that I've just described has been pervading and seeping into the mind of what we call God's people, the Israelites, where they're living over there in Israel, and it's been part of their psyche and their thinking. And they've been living there in this particular place, it's 400 BC, and there's been a shift in the world powers, for anyone who's into their history. The Babylonians have been defeated, and the Persians have taken over. Any Persians here today? Yes, I think there are some. So these are the winners here today, the Persian folk, because there was a man by the name of King Cyrus and he made this edict throughout the land and he said, any people group that we have captured and brought to our space um, in Persia, you are allowed to return to your family of origin, your country of origin, and you are allowed to set up your temples to your gods. And you, I want you to worship your gods in that place and offer some sacrifices for me. This king was a smart king. He was wanting to hedge all his bets with all the other gods of the land. And so the, some of the Israelite people who had been deported through the Babylonian captivity, they came back and they replanted themselves in Jerusalem. And it's in this particular place they've built their temple and they're kind of hanging out for God to come and dwell back again in his temple and to bring them to the, the kind of the top of the pile of all the nations. They had great anticipation and expectation that once the temple had been built, that God would roll out the red carpet, clap and cheer them and say, well done you, and to be a light to shine through so other nations could see what God, he was like. And so we pick up the story of this thread. They've become despondent. They've, if you like, They've got the orange handsaw and they're saying, God, we haven't seen you show up. We haven't seen you do any of your miraculous things. It's hard work here. And they're tempted to dispose of God and say, you know what? You're not reliable at all. We want to have another one. We want to upgrade. We want to go somewhere else. Okay, you got, you traveling with me? And we're going to bump into this guy this morning called Malachi. If you're an Italian here this morning, you could pronounce it as Malachi. He would be the first Italian prophet in the Bible, but otherwise we can just go with Malachi. And God comes and speaks to Malachi and he gives him this message for the people that are living in that place in Jerusalem. This is the message that the Lord God gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. He says this, I have always loved you. But you retort to me, these are the people responding in their mind's eye, really, God? How have you loved us? Have anyone experienced this before in a relationship where you've actually gone, man, I have given so much to you. And the person's come back and said, really? Really? Anyone who's got kids here this morning, you know, I have cooked and I have cleaned and I have, really? Ever had that come back to you? 
Maybe that's just a little bit of attitude in my family, in my home, yeah? Not in yours or anything. You turned up at a workplace and, you, and your boss has said, I have loved you. And you're thinking, really? Really you loved me? Yeah? So this is kind of the attitude that's going on. And then it comes back and the, the conversation continues. The Lord of Heaven's armies, it just ramps it up a little bit. God says, now the God of Heaven's armies. Uh, you can imagine this is how God's feeling a little bit, a little bit unhappy here. Says to the priests, so he's singling out the priests, the people who are supposed to be a go-between the people and God himself. This is what he says. A son honours his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honour and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. Wow. Just levels it and calls a spade a spade. Don't you like it when someone just calls something a spade a spade? God says, you treat me with contempt. And the priests come back to him and they say, how have we treated you with contempt? And this is what he says. When you give blind animals the sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Okay, let's just, just freeze here for a moment. You see, the interesting thing about the priests is that they were supposed to play this really unique role as being like a go-between God and humans. They were supposed to operate in such a way that when people brought gifts and offerings and sacrifices, that they were supposed to connect them and actually be the conduit between God and humans. And what we have happening in this situation is something radically different. What the people are bringing, God says to Malachi, is very much substandard. Okay, has anyone ever gone into a shop and uh, they've lined up and someone else has come in after them and the attendant in the shop has looked up and served the other person before you? Has anyone experienced that? Yeah. Does it kind of jade you a little bit? Are you kind of there going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You are treating me with contempt here. You know, I was here first. In fact, I have been in a shop before where I have been the only person. You walk through the door and the bell goes, so the attendant out the back, and the attendant has actually come into the shop, right, the shop front, and not even looking at me, has gone, okay, so who's next? <laughs> and I'm standing there thinking, I'm the only one here. I'm standing in front of you. They haven't even looked at me. They've gone, okay, so who's next? And I'm like, that would be me. Yeah? You understand this kind of, this, this, this idea of not treating someone respectfully and, and maybe giving someone second or third class things. In fact, my brothers and I, we, we play this game at Christmas time. When we get to our age and your parents, when they're buying you gifts, they, they tend to go with the standard jocks and socks or they let you buy your own, so they might give you some money. Yeah? And so we will pretty much open up our cards and there's a lovely card from your mum saying that, that she loves you. That's great. And then there's some money inside. And so the brothers now, we look at each other and we go, how much you get? <laughs> Anyone done this before? 
How much do you get? And I say, oh, I got uh, 40 bucks. You go, oh, is that all? I got 60. They must love me more. And the other one goes, yeah, I got 60. I got 100. What are you talking about? Yeah? In fact, it's coming to Christmas time now and you'll be looking for presents for people and you'll be assessing in your mind now, what kind of gifts should I get them according to what status they have in your, yeah? Is this a 20 buck person or is this a 40 buck person or is this a 60 buck person? The honour, respect and due. Yeah, we understand this completely. Even if you're here this morning and you are not a religious person, uh, you're a fence sitter or you're someone who's just checking out the Christian faith or you've been following Jesus for some time, you understand this. The idea of bringing something and this whole idea of contempt or shame or what goes with it. And God says to his priests, the people who are supposed to be this conduit between him and the people, when you give blind animals the sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer up animals that are crippled and diseased? In fact, what they should have been offering up is pure and spotless ones. Let's just get a little picture of this kind of the temple precinct of what it would have looked like. This, this is a model of uh, perhaps what Herod the Great's temple would have been like just a few years. Uh, literally, it took decades to build. In fact, the temple that we're talking about here this morning, whether you're familiar with the Bible or not, was built, and this was probably built up upon it, and, and probably just a few handful of years before this temple uh, was finished, only a few years afterwards, it was actually destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So this was one of the literally wonders of the world. And so that the, the priests would have been operating all throughout this precinct. This around here would have been where the, the court of the foreigners, if you weren't a Jewish person, you could be. And, and in, inside here was where the, the court of the, the women could be. And then the men on the inside, I know it was very segregated then. And this place right here in the center was known as the Holy of Holies, the most sacred space. If you had have asked a Jewish person, what's the most special place in the world? They would have said Jerusalem. And if you had have said to them, but where in Jerusalem is the most sacred place? They would have said the temple. And where in the temple is the most sacred special place on earth? They would have said the Holy of Holies because that's where God is supposed to dwell. In fact, if you know any Jewish friends here, uh, or if you have any Jewish contacts, this this weekend marks the high celebration, the festive year. Jewish, this is the day of Yom Kippur or atonement. A priest would take two goats and on this particular day he would make sacrifice for all of the people's sin and wrong and impurities. He would take one goat, sacrifice it with its blood, shed it on the other goat and he would push that goat out into the wilderness from this temple space. The goat would walk away, symbolic of saying, God has forgiven you and you are at peace and are purified before him now and that goat would literally wander into the wilderness and that's where we get our name, a scapegoat from. Interesting, isn't it? And so this is what the priests were supposed to do. And they were supposed to make sure that they brought good stuff, not disposable stuff, and it was representative of the people's apathy towards God. And let's, let's flick on now. Because then God comes with a challenge to them, not just to the priests, but to the, all the people. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I've protected you all these years. I have loved you. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And then he says this, return to me and I will return to you. And the response of the people is, 
How are we supposed to return to you? And he says this. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up for a second. If you're here this morning and you're not a religious person or it's your first time to church, I, I know that you've thought, here it is, they're going to hit me up for money at some time, all right? I knew they were going to get around to talking about money. Here it is, tithes and offerings. Yeah, I just knew it. But let me unpack this for a moment. What the tithes and offerings were about. You see, in, in an agricultural society, when you relied upon literally God to provide for things, you would actually at the end of your season or at the start, you would bring a tenth of all of your produce and it was expected of you that you would come to the temple precinct and that you would say, God, as just an act of worship and as an act of thankfulness, you would bring that to the temple before God and say, thank you for being provider. Now, how was that food used? It was used to distribute to the poor and the needy. It was used to keep the temple precinct happening with the priests and the Levites. If they weren't paid, if they weren't fed, then they'd have to go and work the land themselves. The whole thing had a network of connection. So this morning, if you would like to see me go on a holiday in your life, what I'd like you to do is give and give big because that would help me no end. That's, that's kind of, that's not how it worked, but this is how it worked here. He said, you know what's happened? The people just have contempt for me. The produce comes, their crops grow. They bring me the worst of things. In fact, they don't even bring it anymore. And if they don't, the whole system of providing for the needy and for the poor and for the orphan and the widow and the Levites, it collapses. And at the heart of it all is an apathy. And so he goes and says these profound words. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into my storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And then God mouths these amazing words. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Wow. Have you ever had someone sort of puff their chest out and go, come on, try it? You might have heard it in another context. It might have been, take your best shot, buddy. But, but this isn't quite that. This is, try me. Try me. God's saying, you wonder why your crops haven't been as abundant? You wonder why... The wind has blown it away. The locust has eaten it. See, you see, you don't believe that I am provider and so the whole thing's collapsing. And in this particular situation, at this particular time, God says, why don't you try me? I can handle it. Okay, let's hold here for a moment. Because this is where the rubber hits the road, I reckon. Whether you're a religious person here this morning, a follower of Jesus, irreligious, this whole idea of trying and testing, it really sifts through what are your values and what do you believe about anything. And God's saying to the people, why don't you honour me in this way? The whole thing can work. The truth is, most people like to treat God like a genie God. You know one of those 
uh, glass cases, the fire emergency ones, they say the words underneath it, break glass in case of emergency. That's how often we treat God, isn't it? When there's an emergency that comes, we find ourselves breaking the glass and pressing the button. God, could you do this for me? Has anyone here ever done a deal with God before? I was out surfing down at a great place down on Phillip Island some weeks ago. There's a place called YCW. I'm walking over the rocks with my kids there talking about the days I used to go surfing. And one particular day, we went out in this, this it was 12 metre swells. All right, it was 60 metre swells. For anyone who's a surfer, you'll understand how outrageous that is, right? And we were out there and the waves were crashing down literally from YCW into Smith's Beach and there's a huge headland there of rocks. And I remember paddling up these waves as, as we were looking at the rocks below us. We got stuck there. And I was with a guy who it's his first time he'd ever been out. I got out to him and I said, what are you doing out here? Because it looks like you're struggling. He said, I just thought these were the normal waves. It was like three to four metre swell. And that, that's big. And, and in that time, has anyone in a desperate situation found themselves hitting the glass and calling? And this is okay, but that's not where it's supposed to stay. Yeah? So he hits the glass, and this is literally, we're out in the water, and, and I must have been sort of 19, 20, and, and he's making these promises to God. God, God, if you could save me from this, I will, and then he lifts it off, I will do, dun, dun, you know, I will pledge my, the, the first three children, if I have any, will be, you know, all of this. We got washed over those rocks, and, and he, I remember him kissing the sand at the other end. Yeah, Has anyone had those moments? You've broken the glass, you've called out to God. And then I reckon about two months later if I had said to him, hey, hey, you know those promises? You know that day in the surf? Where, where are you up with those things? If it would have just been back. Oh, oh it's a bit of a coincidence to pull through that. Yeah, what about, where, did, where does it stand with God? Well, you know, maybe one child, maybe not the three. You, know? you see, God doesn't just want people to break the glass. He wants to be a gracious God that's more like a shepherd. It's all about the heart. Okay, I want to stay on this theme for a moment, just as we're pulling things together. In finishing, there's this, this tale of trusting God as provider. I could tell you story after story after story about not necessarily God providing X amount of this and Y and I'm driving the fastest car, but that, that underneath all of that, there's this, this reliance upon God as provider that Eva was talking about today. It's a tale between two stories. The first one goes like this. One of my lecturers when I was at college, Bible college, he said to us, you know, this whole reliance upon God being dependable. He said there was a time in our family's life where the kids got up to... It's a university age. And over in the States, the university is a big deal and saving up money. And he said, we were a poor family that we were making ends meet and we couldn't provide for our kids going to university. It's kind of a thing as a father I would have liked to have done, but I couldn't. So he said, one day I got my family and we sat around the table and my daughters who were there and they were up to university age and he said, okay, this is how it works. Here's all the money that goes there. Here's all the money that goes there. And this is the money that goes there. And I don't have any money set aside for a university fund for you. So this is what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to start to be more generous with the money that we do have and I'm going to give that more of a portion of that to God. And that was probably through a church setting or maybe it was through sponsorship of something, I don't know how or where it went, but he said, I'm going to give more. Wow. You imagine the daughters, they sit back and they go, Wow. Because you want to go to university and I haven't been able to, but I'm just going to press into God and say, God, I am trusting you to provide in ways that I can't. And I want to honour you in that. Okay, take that story. Then take another one. I had a couple turn come to me about oh, 15 years ago now and they said, our business is not doing well. And we're followers of Jesus. And so what we want to do is we want our business to be successful so what we think as we've gone through all of the things in our lives, wondering what we must be doing wrong because our business must be successful because we're God followers, right? And he's, about, he's supposed to make us all abundant and, and, and successful, right? So we've decided that the thing that's probably missing is that we're not giving money to God. So what we want to do is we're going to start giving money to God so that he will make us successful, you notice the contrast between the two? One was about a genie God, I do this, you do this for me. This is where the GST came from. Yeah? Goods and services tax. I do this for you, you do this for me. Over here was someone saying, no, no, I want to trust God as being generous provider. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I want to honour him with what I do have. And so I'll give a portion and even a bit more. I don't know how this couple got on. I kind of scratched my head at the time. But you know what? Maybe the business was just a dodgy business plan. And God was going, you know, this. you want me to bail you out of this? <laughs> but I do know how this couple got on. Because they went, well, how did God provide? One of my daughters sat and got a scholarship into the university. Good for her. And the other one? decided to come here where I work at the university and tuition's really subsidised and cheap for family members. <laughs> Didn't provide in the way in which they may have anticipated, but provided in another. Okay, let's pull all these things together. This morning as we're sitting here, do you hear God's voice? Test me. Test me. Because the people who responded and said, God, we hear what you're saying. It's about the heart, wanting to relate to you as a generous God. Not just one who's a genie God. That's religion. I do something for you, you do something for me. There's no heart in that whatsoever. Those people who responded from the heart, this is what it was said. Those who feared, that is, those who revered and honoured God, talked with each other and he, the Lord, listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written. In his presence concerning those who feared him, reverenced him, honoured him and his name. And it says, he says, when I come and do my work among you, you will be my possession because you have learnt what it means to say, I will honour you because you are God provider. In a moment, we're going to have these crew, they're going to sing the same song that we, they sung earlier on and they're going to invite you to maybe perhaps engage with them as an act of kind of engagement with God and worship. But as they do, have a look at these four things that are up on the screen. 
And let me ask you the question, no matter where you are this morning with God, no matter how far away or how distant, how fence-sitting, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a number of years, let me ask you this question. How have you thought about honouring anyone in your life? And if God is actually important to you, if he is kind of somewhere in the midst of your life, when have you last thought about honouring God? I mean, it could be with your body, with your mouth, the way Eva was talking about today, knowing, wait a second, there's a disconnect. In physical relationships, in finances, where is it in your life that you actually say, God, I honour you as provider? It may not always work out the way you want, God, I just hear that echoing through the centuries. Test me. I am dependable. I am reliable. I am not some cheap, disposable object. And you have fed yourself on that for so long, you don't even know what value looks like. Come back to me. Come back to me as God who is reliable and dependable. And if you want to come back to me, he says, you start. None of this trade-off, pistols at five paces, you start. In a small way, in some way, make a decision. This morning if you're here and you go, you know what, I just don't even know the Jesus thing. There's a passage we've been looking at this month that says, taste and see that God is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. You might just want to write that down where you are and you go, you know what, if this is true and God says, test me, I might give him a try at that. Uh, If there's some things on my mind that are just heavy and weighing, I might just actually write that down and say, okay, God, I'm just going to take you at your words there. And you might just want to speak to him and say, God, would you now... Warning, danger here, right here. Because if you're in a surfing situation and he comes through, it's incumbent upon you not to just go, oh, well, that was a coincidence. But no, press into him and say, is there more to this? It's not just in my imagination. It's not just blind faith. Yeah? So if that's you this morning, would you write that down on a card and you take that with you? Otherwise, let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus here, so those who that relates to, this does not apply to you. For everyone else, this applies to you. Where in your life have you even thought about honouring God? With the words that come out of your mouth, with where you spend your time, with where you give and hit the hip pocket, you believe that God is dependable and reliable? One of the ways early followers of Jesus, and we still do it today, is that they honour Him with themselves all these people are looking at baptisms that we hold in the Yarra River on the 17th of November. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and you have never said, you know, publicly, I follow you, then one way to honour him would be to say, I need to be dunked in the water November 17th. In fact, I want to know who you are and I want you to write your name down. That will be a first continuing step for you to say, I want to honour you because it's representative of what you're doing in my life. So would you write that down and let me know? And let me come to the one area that we never talk about here at New Community because we have always valued generosity. 
this place has continued and continued to give and things like East Timor and I could just, the list of things that Steve spoke about at the start is because people here have said, I want to honour God with my finances. And so they've given so I can turn up with clothes, but at the same time, so that we can do things and distribute. This morning, if you have not bought into generosity, there's brochures on the tables about what that means and what that looks like. Giving a portion, the first portion, because it's an act of worship. He says, I will do that. And I tell you what, if you do that, no one will be clapping you. No one. No one will ever say, oh, well done you for pulling that money out of the ATM and giving it to a church. But one person will. One person will. And his is the opinion that counts. You don't do it because it's a GST. You do it because you say, I honour you. And you are, you are, you are dependable. Have a listen to these words. As they sing, if you want to join with them and as an act of worship, then do that. If you want to think, you want to reflect, do that too.